Welcome to the Hedgemaker Broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. All right, we're back in the Gospel of Mark again. Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. Once again, we've been trying to uh, center on this theme of the servant, so the message tonight, the servant and his responsibility to the state. The servant and his responsibility to the state. Now, we want to look, we find in verse 13 that there are Pharisees and Herodians that come to catch Jesus in his words. These two groups will present false, two false views of the state. So we'll look at that first, the false view of the state. You don't get this from the text. You get this from the history of the studying the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Pharisees present the first false view of the state. That is, that religion is supreme, or the church, or however you want to call it. It's the contrast, conflict between church and state. The first false view is that religion is supreme over the state. This would be the view of the Pharisees. They believed strongly in the heavenly spiritual world, so much so that they believed all obedience and loyalty were due to God and God alone. They did not like the idea of paying tax, thinking that all things on earth were due God. And uh, so the state and all the other powers and authorities were subject to religious rule. That thinking has pervaded many countries. It was even a part of original America that the church was either supreme or in some senses over. The king in England had the idea that he had the divine right to rule. So there have been many different religions. I think the Chinese had something along that line too with their dynasties and what have you. So the false view can be worldwide, but that's the first false view. The second false view, a false concept of civil government, is that the state is supreme over religion. This is the view held by the Herodians. Now, the Herodians were not a religious party. They more or less came out of the, uh, well, I guess it would be pre-intertestamental during the time of the Herods, of course. They were more a political party. Uh, the political party of Herod, the king of Galilee. And there are many Herods, of course. They were supportive of Rome compromising wherever they could in order to preserve their own power and influence. They had compromised to such a point that they gave some degree of consent to the pagan temples that were... Religiously, they were mainly Sadducees who gave their first loyalty to the state. Now, the Herodians would oppose 
any and all claims of the Messiah because of the disturbance that this would cause among the people to claim that Jesus was another king. And then they would agree that taxes must be paid to Caesar rather than to God. So the two of these groups, unlikely groups to work together. So those are the two false views. Now let's look at some of the sins that are, how should I say, results of these false views. So sins common to the false views of the state. And one is self-ambition. Well, let's read the verse. Verse 14. And when they were come, Herodians and the Pharisees, the purpose, of course, to catch him in his word. But notice in verse number 14, they're using flattery. When they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true, and carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. And then here's their question. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? That question, yes or no answer. If Jesus said taxes were due to Caesar, the people would have called him a traitor and turned him over to, uh, turned against him as a uh, proponent of Rome. And if he said that it was not lawful to pay the taxes, so he gave a no answer, then the religionists would have reported him to the, to the Romans and accused him of insurrection. So they thought they got him caught. He's got to answer yes or no. And of course he doesn't. He says both. And so they thought he had, they had him caught. Remember, they're catching him with their words. And so they're using this flattery. You're a master teacher, a rabbi. We know that you speak the truth. Oh, well then, if he's speaking the truth, why don't you listen to him? And you carest for no man, meaning you're, you're not a uh, respecter of persons. For thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Buttering him up, telling him all about this. All of this was for their selfish ambition. That's the first sin. Selfish ambition. The Pharisees wanted to promote their cause. The Herodians wanted to promote their cause. They felt that, hey, we're on the same page here. Let's work together against Christ. Selfish ambition often leads to compromise. So they compromise. Here are these, really, two opposite ends. Enemies, Pharisees on one hand, Herodians on another. Opposites working together. Compromising in order to catch Jesus in his words. Both of them had a fear of the loss of their positions and influence and power and wealth and security. The Bible's true. The love of money is the root of all evil. And the depth of this selfish ambition is seen by taking these two groups and having them work together, plotting evil, really. They're trying to not just catch Jesus in his words, but eventually kill him. Do away with him. So, an evil, selfish ambition. And it can be with government, Herodians, or with the religion. Religious leaders, both were supposed to promote life, not death. Religious leaders should promote righteousness, not uh, not evil. Then there's the sin of deception. The sin of selfish ambition to the sin of deception. 
which usually leads to flattery, and and uh, the flattery is you know got a final goal of destruction. There are several things they say. Master, that's the that would be the word for rabbi. We know that thou art true, thou carest for no man, thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God and truth. All of those things were true about Jesus. He was a master, a rabbi, a teacher. You know, he didn't have a degree or the proper education or whatever. In fact, he's more than that. He was master and lord of the universe. He was true and he was faithful. We know that thou art true. That's true of him. He was, of course, the teacher of God. He teacheth the way of God. Well, he did teach the way of God. The way of God was how man should live, how he should behave himself before the Lord. He did not care what men said about him. Okay, thou carest for no man. What you know, uh, that phrase could probably mean several things. What people thought didn't uh, influence him. Some people are influenced. Well, I better not preach that. Because people will think badly of me or certain things of me. Jesus didn't care about that, so he careth no for for no man in that regard. And he did not regard man's person. In other words, he didn't show any partiality or favoritism. We saw him eating with sinners and publicans. It didn't matter to him whether the people were Pharisees or Herodians or Sadducees or Jews or even Gentiles. The woman um, that came begging of him, and, and he said he's basically there to minister to the Jews, and she said, yes, but even the dogs eat from the crumbs. So there was a Gentile woman. I think it was a Syrophoenician woman. So he didn't care uh, and regard men's persons. So all of those things that they said about him was true. The problem was they didn't mean what they were professing. What they were professing about him was coming from an evil motive. Their motive was to catch him in his words. So we have to be careful about what people say. Yes, we want a confession. We try to get a confession. We try to get a confession out of our missionaries. You know, okay, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and so forth and so on? Yes, they do. And then when they get on the mission field, they teach us otherwise. Uh, so, deception. Deception always destroys. It never builds up. It's always destructive. Even though it might be truthful, all these things true of Jesus, but the purpose of it all is to destroy. So there's deception. The third sin is the sin of closed-mindedness and obstinate unbelief. They already had their minds made up. Okay, the Pharisees knew what they believed. They weren't going to change. The Herodians knew what they wanted to do. They weren't going to change. The Lord wants us to know what we believe, but he wants us to be open-minded toward the Scriptures so that our minds are renewed, Romans 12. But the Pharisees and the Herodians had no concept of that. If you go to the very question, is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not, the Pharisees would shout, no, it's not lawful to pay Caesar because religion is supreme. The Herodians would say, yes, it is lawful. So they thought they had Jesus trapped. They certainly did not believe him in him. And of course, if Jesus did say, yes, taxes would be paid to Caesar, then he would be denying the sovereignty of God. 
and uh, the people who strongly opposed the Roman rule uh, and the taxes would rise up against him. So both the uh, Pharisees and the Herodians had their minds made up. Their, their answers were yes and no, respectively, and uh, so they were waiting for the Lord to give one or the other answer, and either one they would catch him with their words. Now, the tax was probably, it's called tribute, was probably a poll tax, a, a, a person tax. The way we understand this, that everybody between either the age of 12 or 14, I'm not sure why the difference there, through 65, was to pay that tax. And it was about, amounted to about a day's wage. That'd be pretty good tax. One day's wage, huh? And that's it. So we have the false views about the state. We have the sins that uh, develop because of the false views of the state. And then we have, you can put this in quotation marks, dependency upon the state. Verse number 15. Shall we give or shall we not give? That's still part of their question. But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. And they brought it, and he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. Here's the thought. You have a question between the state and religion or God. Okay, so let's call it God and state. Life is dependent upon God, not the state. That's where we're going with it. Life within the state depends on God, not money. Here's Jesus. He's living in the state. He is, I guess you'd call him a, a Roman citizen. He is living under the state of Israel, under Roman rule. Uh, there's, you know, provincial government or whatever. He's under that. But he has no money. He can't pull out his wallet. And, okay, I'll pay my tax, my tribute money. What does he say? He says, bring me a penny. He didn't have one. But he was living in the state without money. Why? Because he was dependent upon God. We live dependent upon God, not upon the state. People want to teach us we're dependent upon the state. So the state is not necessary for life. Everybody lives in a state. Everybody lives under government. We have three entities. We have a home, we have a, a government, and we ought to have a church. And that's God's design. Everybody has a home, dysfunctional or other otherwise. Everybody has a state, a country they live in, and everybody ought to have a church. Those three institutions that God has designed. But you can live in the state and not be dependent upon the state. The state is not necessary for life. We have verses like Matthew 6.33 telling us to seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, it's not that we shouldn't live in the state because what Jesus is going to tell us is whose inscription is on the penny? It's Caesar's. And then his answer was, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Dependency upon the state. We live in a a world, I think, not just the society, that wants to make us dependent upon the state. 
for life, for insurance, for jobs, for whatever. We have, traditionally, we as a democracy have fought against that type of thinking, so it's nothing new. But we're not dependent upon the state. We can live life without the state, but we cannot live life without God. We must be dependent upon God. Paradox that people try to live without God or without dependence upon God, and they can't do it. The very breath that they breathe is there because of God. The money that they have is there because of God. Every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness. Life can be lived in the state without the money dependent upon the Lord. Now, I'm not advocating that. I just trust the Lord and don't have a job and don't pay taxes to the state. But it can be lived without that. But you cannot live without God. So, let's be dependent upon the Lord. So it's kind of a, in quotation marks, dependency upon the state. We really ought to be dependent upon the Lord. Now let's look at the authority for the state. The state is ordained by God. Now Jesus isn't necessarily bringing all of this out, but he does say, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. If I understand the Pharisees' thinking, they would have liked to have lived without the state. Because their philosophy was that religion is supreme. And the state, I guess, is a necessary evil. I don't know how they would look at it. But Jesus is trying to teach them, there is a place for the state. So bring me the penny. Whose inscription is on the penny? It's not God's. It's Caesar's. The Roman Caesar. What belongs to Caesar needs to belong to Caesar. He's responsible for three functions at least. Law and order. That's not really the job of the religion. For some community services, the Roman government was instrumental in paving, or, or I don't know if they paved them, but uh, the roads, uh, the system of commerce, various community services, and of course protection. Those three functions. And no man was, you know, in a state outside of that law and order. No man was to be a law unto himself. All citizens benefited from the community services, the road system, the language, the law, uh, courts. All of that the state was responsible for and of course the protection, whatever kind of army or police system or whatever is set up. So the citizen owes the state for those services and those goods that are provided. But one of the things he's doing by saying, give me the penny and show me the inscription there, that's Caesar's. He's forcing the Pharisees to admit that some things belong to an earthly power. There is an earthly citizenship. The Pharisees wanted to deny that. So there was authority for the state. I think it was set up by God. Jesus isn't taking us back to Genesis 9 or whatever to show that. We've done that in the past for you. But the Pharisees needed to recognize that there was this image and superscription of Caesar on the coin. The coin, of course, was made and minted, if that's the word you would use in those days, by Caesar's government to purchase these services that the government would provide. So the point was that there are some things that belong to Caesar. 
and so render unto Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. So they owed Caesar a due, tribute, whatever you want to call it. But he also said, the verb is missing there in the text, but it's understood, render to God the things that belong to God. So Jesus is teaching that, you know, I was going to say the believer, but it's really everybody. Everybody should have a dual citizenship. We have an earthly citizenship and a heavenly citizenship. We belong to the Lord, of course, we have, so we have a double citizenship. And, and here's where the conflict comes in. Now we have the state on one hand, God on the other. To whom do we render allegiance? So we're back to that question again. Is it all under God? Is it all, do we switch from, you know, once we get saved, we move from being out from under the state to being under God? Pharisees would probably teach something along that line. No, we have a dual citizenship. We have an earthly citizenship and a heavenly citizenship. So we render unto Caesar the things that belong to earth, and we render unto God the things that belong to heaven. Romans 13, of course, teaches us these things. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be ordained of God. So we have a dual citizenship. And then let's talk about the limitations of that state. The state is limited. It has limited power because some things belong to Caesar, but some things belong to God. So the state does not get everything. So the state has limitations. A heavenly citizenship belongs to God. Jesus was just as brilliant in dealing with the Herodians and their false concept of citizenship as he was in trying to straighten out the Pharisees. Both of them were wrong. Both had false views of civil government. One said the state was supreme. One said that religion was supreme. But you do need both. You need things that belong to Caesar, and you need things that belong to God. There's an earthly state and a heavenly citizenship. So Jesus is declaring to the Herodian, who thought that everything belonged to the state, that there was a spiritual world. There are people today who deny the reality of the spiritual. You can't see the spiritual. All you people who have religion and go to church and all that sort of thing, and we don't need that. We just live in the real world. Well, the Herodians needed to be declared to them that there was a spiritual world, that God does exist. So render unto God the things that belong to God. So even though you are a part of the state, and you render to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar's, you must also have a recognition of the spiritual world. There are also beings of God in that world, in that spiritual world. I don't know if Jesus was saying that everybody was a part of God's world, but at least as Christians we are, and we're citizens of the heavenly world, and therefore need to be responsible. Now we have a responsibility to the earthly, and we have a responsibility to the heavenly. So there are things we owe to Caesar, and there are things that we owe to God. Again, he's not bringing this out in the text, but what would be some of the things that we ought to owe to God? Well, here's a list. We ought to love God supremely. Jesus taught in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, 29, and 30. And one of the scribes came, and, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, 
asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all, the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. So, we have, what we owe to the Lord is our love. We ought to love God supremely. We ought to seek the Lord with a whole heart. We ought to know that God is God, that the Lord is God, and worship Him. Psalm 100, verses 3 and 4 say, Know ye that the Lord, He is God, and is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. There is people, sheep of His pasture, were to enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise, and be thankful to Him and bless His name. We should not forget the Lord, but remember Him. Isaiah 51, 13 says, and he's talking about Israel that forgot the Lord, and forgettest the Lord thy Maker, that hath stretched forth the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, and hath feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor, as if he were ready to destroy, and there is fury of the oppressor. We have the tendency to forget the Lord because he's spiritual and we don't see him. And, of course, we're not to profane his covenant, but to follow him and believe him. So there's several things that we owe to the Lord. What do we owe our government? Well, the tribute money, the tax, prayer for the king. The Bible doesn't really give us a command for being involved in government. I think there should be a loyalty as much as possible. But owing things to Caesar that belong to Caesar and things that belong to God. And the result, verse 17, the last phrase, the last sentence, and they marveled at him. They thought they caught him. They thought, this is it, we're finally... Remember, now, we're working here in the last week of Jesus' life and ministry. So they're looking for a reason to crucify him. And they marveled at him. Always gives the right answer. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at these things and consider the servant and his responsibility to the state. We believe that we do have a dual citizenship. We're citizens of the earth, belonging to whatever state we belong to. And we also have a citizenship that is in heaven. So we have a duty to Caesar and a duty to God. Give us the wisdom to know the difference if there is to be one. And the wisdom to know what things belong to Caesar and what things belong to God. I thank you for the Bible that gives us direction regarding those things. Help us to be wise citizens of the earth as well as responsible citizens of heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's close with hymn number 176. All of our hymns have been about the Bible. And this one's about breaking the bread of life. The bread of life is the word of God. It's course, a communion hymn as well, but 176, let's stand together. Bless thou the truth, dear Lord, to me, to me, as thou didst bless the bread by Oh,
find my peace, my all in all. Thou art the bread of life, O Lord, to me. Thy holy word, the truth that saveth me. Give me to eat and live with the above. Teach me to love thy truth, for thou art love. That next verse talks about the Spirit. O send thy Spirit, Lord. Now unto me, I was listening to the song this morning, Brethren, we have met to worship. And then it said, All is vain unless the Spirit. So we're praying that the Holy Spirit would get into our work. This is Dr. Lee Hennies, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached at church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again. Thank you.